Hello and welcome to Truth Triumphant Radio. I'm your host, Cody Mori, and today I wanted to sort of uh, do another, this happens, you know, sometimes, but I wanted to do another part two, if you will, of, of some of the things that I talked about. Specifically, I wanted to, to discuss um, the pagan roots of the state of the dead. Now, we talked about the state of the dead. I gave some Bible quotes there. Um, and showed that, you know, throughout Old Testament, New Testament, you have the idea that when people die, that they are in the grave. They don't understand anything. They don't think. They know not anything, as the scripture says. And essentially, their next uh, consciousness is going to be in the resurrection. Now, some will be resurrected in a special resurrection. Others will be resurrected in the resurrection of life when Jesus returns, those who have died in Christ. And then lastly, uh, there'll be another resurrection of, of judgment at a later date for, for the wicked, essentially, the wicked dead. And I wanted to talk about, we looked at the Bible side of it, I wanted to look at sort of the pagan roots of it and take a closer look at that, in, that information specifically. Because I think it is really, um, it really emboldens you and 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 helps you in your in your understanding of your doctrine and also in your understanding of the Bible to see sort of where these false doctrines come in and and also to see, you know, how others have described some of these things. We're going to read a few quotes here today. So, but the first the first one I wanted to start off with was from the scriptures themselves which is from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. All right, so they became a soul. That is, Adam became a soul. He doesn't have a soul. He is a soul. So there's there's like there's like a a mathematical equation here the dust of the earth the body which was formed and then god breathed his spirit of life into his nostrils so you have god's spirit right and you put them together and then you have a living soul that's what you have when the person dies the soul uh ceases to exist the parts of it aren't there right think about it if you had like a car if you have a car but you have no tires no engine no windshield you know essentially you just have a frame you wouldn't say that you had a car there now it's also important that you read this scripture from uh something related to the majority text or the specifically what i just read to you was the king james version because if you read it in the NIV, you won't get this understanding out of it. For instance, in the NIV it states, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. All right, now that's not untrue. However, it doesn't give us as much information. It leaves a little bit to be desired there. So, I wanted to talk about the pagan roots of the state of the dead. It's not a new concept. 
It's something that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. I'm sure it was something that was very common uh, in the days of Noah. I, I'm, I'm sure it was. It wouldn't surprise me. I don't have a specific reference for that, but I'm just saying would not surprise me. I found actually an interesting article online uh, from www.sacredtext.com uh, forward slash NEU forward slash Kelt forward slash RAC forward slash RAC 25.htm for those of you who want to look it up. And it talks about it talks about the Celts and this is this is in like the first the very first century, you know. And this, it's talking about Julius Caesar and what the Druids believed and stuff like that and, and what he has, uh, what he wrote down in his journals about the whole affair. Very, very interesting. I'm going to read the quote here from uh, sacredtext.com as it reads. However, within here are referenced uh, Caesar's journals, volume 6, page 14 and page 19. Diodorus, Volume 5, page 28. Valerius Maximus, Volume 6, page 6 and 10. And I'll let you know uh, who's being quoted where. So it starts off this way. Caesar writes, so this is from Caesar's journals. The Druids in particular wish to impress this on them that souls do not perish, but pass, pass from one to another after death. And by this, chiefly, they think to incite men to valor, the fear of death being overlooked. He later adds that at funerals, all things which had been dear to the dead man, even living creatures, were thrown into the funeral pyre. And shortly before his time, slaves and beloved clients were also consumed. Wow, so I think it's very interesting there in a few respects because this, this belief system, obviously, it was held by the Celts uh, before they were part of the empire of Rome. And they believe that souls do not perish, that there is an immortal soul, in other words. And actually, interestingly enough, they believed in reincarnation, which, oh, I thought that was something that was like, Eastern transcendentalism or something like that. No, this is this is all pagan mythology, pagan religion, going all the way back 2,000 years ago and much further. So that that's from Caesar's journals there. And then it also the the article continues. It says Diodorus says, quote, among the doctrine of Pythagoras prevailed that the souls of men were immortal. And after completing their term of existence, they live again, the soul passing into another body. Hence, at the burial of the dead, some through letters addressed to dead relatives on the funeral pile, believing that the dead would read them in the next world. So, again, that's from uh, Diodorus. But that's I think that's very interesting there. In a few respects as well, because look, look at the evils, look at the superstition that this stuff leads to. You see, if you don't think that you can contact the dead, if you believe what the Bible teaches, which is that 
the dead know not anything and there's no way of contacting someone who's not home <laughs> you know you're knocking on an empty uh, an empty uh, house there so there's no reason for you to ever try to contact them there's no reason for you to have these crazy doctrines in your religion there's no reason to have seances there's no reason to have masses or prayers for the dead there's no reason to have a time where you feel the dead is coming to you in, in any way shape or form i'm saying the same thing in different ways essentially um, but there's no reason to kill your to kill the person's cat when the person dies that way the cat can go be with them at the same time because they they're dead that's it they're they're not they're not here anymore they cease to exist and they're awaiting the judgment, just like everybody else. And also, in a in a very in a different way, I I think it's, and I didn't understand this when I first heard the doctrine, but as I went through the doctrine and and saw that the Bible clearly, this is what the Bible is clearly teaching. I began to look at it from God's perspective, and I and I and I thought to myself, you know. How can you be happy if let's say let's say you're a devout Christian, right? Let's say you go you go to heaven. It, it me uh, you know supposing the immortal soul and you know you go well, as soon as you die you immediately go to heaven. So how could you be happy if you were a devout Christian and you look down from heaven and you see your sons and daughters who have totally denied the faith and have gone to far extremes into wickedness wouldn't you be sad like all the time i'm sure you would so if you think about it it's really an act of mercy for god to have everybody await the judgment and the resurrection because then there's no there's no pain there'd be no pain or tears in heaven which there's not supposed to be and then you you have the same thing going on. You'd have the same thing going on in hell, which would be much much worse, you know. And all these again, all these false doctrines, they spring up from this this belief that we're somehow immortal. You guys, you got to remember that's the that's the first lie that Satan told uh, Eve, that very first lie. He said, "You shall not surely die." That was the first blatant lie that he said. But you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So we would not surely die, so we would be immortal. We can't die, and we'll be as God. We can become God. That's basically the basis of almost every false religion out there. Immortal soul, whether it's reincarnation or in Christianity, this pagan belief system of, of immediately going to heaven or hell, and then also the aspect of you become God. That's the base. That's what Mormonism teaches in, at, at its roots. This is what, you know, that every level you upgrade into this next level. You know, the Freemasons, you just get to the next level. The Illuminati, you just get to the next level. And then eventually you become God. This is this is a huge, huge false uh, belief system that's prevalent in many of the secret societies and also as i've said mormonism uh once you get into the well in a way the secret doctrines of it anyways continuing with the quote we have uh one more sec two more sections here 
It says, Valerius Maximus writes, so this is the Valerius Maximus section, quote, They would fain make us believe that the souls of men are immortal. I would be tempted to call these breeches-wearing folk fools if their doctrine were not the same as that of the mantle-clad Pythagoras, end quote. It says, he also speaks of money lent, which would be repaid in the next world because men's souls are immortal. Oh, how, how nice. You can just go straight into a deep debt as much as you like here on earth because you'll be able to pay that debt off, you know, working at a ghost, you know, masonry crew on construction or something. Finally, it says, according to the former, which he's speaking of Pythagoras there, Men's souls entered new bodies, even those of animals, in this world and as an expiation. So very interesting there. Very interesting there. So this is where this stuff comes from. It's not, it's not Christian. It's not something that's being taught in the scriptures themselves that we learn. And in a way, in a very large way, this belief system has brainwashed us into misinterpreting many scriptures. Like when it says, if, if you're reading the King James Version, when it says, they gave up the ghost. Well, if you understand that somebody's spirit returns to God after you die, and that the body obviously would cease, and the soul then would cease, then no problem. But if you if you if you have this false worldview where you believe that that means that the person who dies when they give up the ghost that a ghost comes out of their body and they're looking at their dead body on the ground and then they float up into heaven that's what the immortal soul will do for you and you'll see you'll read passages like to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Again, if you understand that, if you understand that the spirit returns because the spirit comes from God, as we read there in Genesis, if you understand that that returns to God at death, and there's actually a quote in scripture that talks about this. And that quote can be found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7. I'm going to read verse 6 also. To give us a little context here, it says, Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall, and he's talking about death there, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So, when you read something, once again, if you understand this passage, and you, you interpret scripture with scripture, then to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord can mean two things. One, it can mean that the spirit is literally returned to God. That could be one way of understanding it. More likely, however, is what the Apostle Paul there is saying, is that to be absent from the body, that means when he dies, he's going to cease to exist. And his very next thought is going to be seeing Jesus Christ coming in glory. So literally, to be absent from the body, to die, would be to be present with the Lord. Because his very 
next conscious moment will be literally being with the Lord. So either way, you can you can understand that each both ways based off of this scripture. However, if you if you have this false worldview ingrained in you, and I know it's tough with some people because it's you're taught this at birth. Especially in Western culture. It's crazy how how much Western culture has adopted this view. But if you have if you have that false worldview, you go, oh, to be absent from the body, that means the spirit separates from the body and it's conscious and it goes up and it lives in heaven with God until God calls it back down for the resurrection and then gives new immortal bodies to all the saints, which really doesn't make any sense because then you have judgment before judgment. You have spirits living in heaven that are later going to get bodies for some reason, and even though they're already alive, they're being resurrected. It's really strange. Think about it. It's really strange if you believe if you believe this doctrine. So I wanted to take a few quotes here also from some individuals in the 20th century all the way back in 1952 from the book The Art of Dodging Repentance written by David Davies. And this is from page 84. An interestingly interesting note here. David Davies was sort of a uh, liberal in some senses, okay? So Keep that in mind. I'm not saying you need you need to go read this guy, but keep keep that in mind that this is someone who is considered liberal in the 1950s even. And this is what he says. He was a rector uh, at St. Mary Magdalene, St. Leonard on the Sea in Britain. He says this, The soul of man is not necessarily automatically mortal. It is capable of being destroyed. The Bible offers no ground whatsoever for believing that the soul is immune from death and destruction. The soul can be destroyed. The immortality of the soul is not a biblical doctrine, but Greek philosophy. And that's what we're talking about today, the pagan roots of it. So it's from Greek philosophy, according to David Davies. The biblical doctrine about the soul is the resurrection of the dead. Man is a created being. God created him out of nothing. Man was created for immortality, but by his own rebellion against God made himself mortal. The idea of immortality of the soul derives from Greek philosophy, which conceived the afterlife of Hades. So all the way back to Greek mythology. Okay, Greek mythology, Hades, Zeus, all that stuff. And of course, as I've stated before, and long before that, okay, these are these are the individuals that infiltrated the church with this with this doctrine. Uh, people like Oregon and or Origen, I don't know how to say it, Oregon, but one of the church founding fathers, considered the church church fathers officially. But this is where the and they were out of uh, Alexandria, Egypt, and they had they were the they were the liberal side of Christianity, and this is where you get all these other different translations of the Bibles, like the Codex Sinaiticus and the Codex Vaticanus. This is where it comes from. Those 
and the Gnostics and all that stuff. It all comes down there right, right there in Egypt in, in the Greek city of Alexandria. And this is where all this stuff comes from, Greek philosophy. I have another quote here from uh, Dr. Emil Brunner, uh, born in 1889, professor of systematic and practical theology at the University of Zurich, guest professor at Princeton and International Christian University in Tokyo. And this was written, uh, this book called An Eternal Hope, written in 1954, so two years after, and page 100. According to Platonism, the body is mortal, the soul immortal. The mortal husk conceals this eternal essence, which in death is freed from its outer shell. But this solution to the problem of death stands in irreconcilable opposition to Christian thought. So, Plato, again, Greek philosophy. For the history of Western thought, the Platonic teaching of the immortality of the soul became of special significance. It penetrated so deeply into the thought of Western man because, although with certain modifications, it was assimilated by Christian theology and church teaching, was even declared by the Lateran Council of 1513 to be dogma, to contradict which was a heresy. So, if you there, comes from Plato, comes from Greek paganism. That's where it comes from. At least, at least in this sense, in how it infiltrated the church, how it infiltrated God's people, is through Greek philosophy, through Greek paganism, which is interesting because even to this day, um, you'll have Christian teachers that will that will tell you, and I remember because I was in college not that long ago at a so-called Protestant school, not Seventh-day Adventist, but so-called Protestant, and they, they, they encourage you to read Aristotle and to read Plato and Socrates and some of these other guys. And what are they teaching? It's Greek philosophy. It's, it's pagan roots. That's what it is. But just to prove to you guys that this was not a belief system that was held, I want to read to you two quotes, one from Martin Luther and one from William Tyndale. This is from a copend, a compend of Luther's theology edited by Hugh Thompson Kerr, Jr., page 242. And this is Martin Luther speaking. We should learn to view our death in the right light so that we need not become alarmed on account of it, as unbelief does, because in Christ it is indeed not death, but a fine, sweet, and brief sleep, which brings us release from this veil of tears, from sin and from fear, and extremity of real death, and from all the misfortunes of this life. And we shall be secure and without care, rest sweetly and gently for a brief moment, as on a sofa, until the time when he shall call and awaken us together with all his dear children to his eternal glory and joy. Very interesting. Very interesting, because what do the Lutherans teach nowadays? They teach the immortality of the soul, as does most of the Christian world. Now, William Tyndale, 
he was martyred for trying to for writing the translating the Bible into English and smuggling them into Great Britain. This is during the time of uh, King Henry VIII. In uh, an answer to Sir Thomas More's dialogue, uh, this is an 1850 reprint of it. And ye, in putting the departed souls in heaven, hell, and purgatory, destroy the arguments wherein Christ and Paul prove the resurrection. And again, if the souls be in heaven, then what cause is there of the resurrection? The true faith setteth forth the resurrection, which we be warned to look for every hour. The heathen philosophers, denying that, did set forth that the souls did ever live. And the Pope joineth the spiritual doctrine of Christ and the fleshly doctrine of philosophers together, things so contrary that they cannot agree, no more than the spirit and the flesh do a Christian man. And because the fleshly-minded Pope consenteth unto heathen doctrine, therefore he corrupteth the scripture to establisheth it. Wow. So, interesting really interesting point there from William Tyndale because now we see that it was the Pope who joined the false Greek pagan mythology of the immortality of the soul with Christianity blended them together and now this is why so many Christians to this day are really confused about this issue and actually, some, in a way, some of them not so confused. It's taken for granted. They think, they, they just believe that the immortality of the soul is, that's what it is. You know, either you go to the up place or the down place, and that's it. But interesting, each one of these sources, including the liberal sources, all admit that this comes from paganism. It's not supported by scripture. So when we, when we think about this stuff and we are, we are wondering, you know, what happens when we die, we need not go any further than the scriptures themselves. It, it gives, it gives plenty of information. Actually, this is one of those, this is one of those topics that is just so easy to prove because there's so many verses that show that when you die, that you're awaiting the resurrection, as William William Tyndale said. You know, all the arguments that that Paul and Christ are making about the resurrection, they make a whole lot more sense, a whole lot more sense than when you have this doctrine in view. Because this doctrine sort of blinds you. So anyways, that's going to do it for our show today. Uh, we're out of time, but uh, please join us again next time. I've been Cody Mori. This is Truth Triumphant Radio. God bless, and we'll catch you next time.